dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Hello, listeners. Thanks for listening. On this episode, Mother Natalia brings in another one of her nun friends from Christ the Bridegroom Monastery. Today, we are going to meet Mother Ileana. And Mother Ileana is going to tell us a little bit about her story. She's going to be talking primarily about suffering and sickness and how we encounter God in our suffering. Um, visiting the sick, God visiting us. Also, the aspect of control, um, the fact that we are so out of control when we're suffering, um, and actually that in a positive and negative way, because sometimes we are glad that we are out of control and how that fits. She'll be talking about spiritual, physical, emotional pain and suffering in ourselves and also that in others. Um, and at the very end, you will hear her do an amazing Spice Girls impression which was my favorite part of the entire podcast. Um, if you are a hashtag banter hater, uh, you can skip ahead about 11 minutes and 30 seconds, but um, a bit of the introduction to Mother Elian is part of the banter, so you may want to actually listen to the banter, if any time, this time. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Glory forever. Ah, you even said it like him. <laughs> See, it's two against one mother. Um, mother Natalia. I got to be careful now. I got to say Mother Natalia today instead of. Just I mean, mother. it's always my preference that you'd say Mother Natalia, not just Mother. Oh. I don't well, know if we ever talked about this. I might have just Mother Natalia. <laughs> six, six syllables. See, we always I say just, the names in the monastery because if we just said Mother, that's Mother Theodora yeah. the Hegumena. So to avoid confusion, but, I didn't know it was But don't you guys have preference. nicknames? It is my preference. Um, we do. Sometimes I call Mother Ileana. I haven't said Mother Ily in a long time, but I do say um, Mother Ilyanochka. Yeah, I like that a lot. Which is like the Ukrainian um, little, little Ileana. Because yeah. little Ileana would be Ilyanka. And Ilyanochka yeah. is like little, little Ileana. It's pretty cute. Yeah. That's even more syllables. See, I'm all about less syllables. <laughs> so, so this is how the Ukrainian nicknames work. It's yeah. like <laughs> you make them longer oh, and sweeter. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I, I it, that, that is a really sweet name. I'm just saying for like when you're calling across the room. Oh, like I mean, I, still I do that. <laughs> I mutter and I, I, so like I just anyway, it would be I would I would combine it anyway into too few syllables, and then it would become. A nickname without me meaning to, for it to be a nickname, I think. That's probably true. So Mother Ileana here with us is Ukrainian, um, her ethnicity. And <laughs> 97%. Mm -hmm, yes, according to Ancestry.com. <laughs> I did one of those spit in a cup and find out where you're from. And guess All what? Right. It's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> she. So Mother Ileana is one of the other nuns at our monastery. And so I'm continuing on with her. Uh, our very broken apart series of having all the different <laughs> nuns on. We've had one in like a few months and <laughs> we now have our second. Uh, but Mother Eliana says that when a Ukrainian is born, they ask the parent two questions. They say, what is her name? And what are you going to call her? Like there's always an, an oh. There's got to be a nickname. Yeah. We're uh -huh. big into nicknames. Yeah. So. Well, that's like when you read Dostoevsky, that's why it's so hard to oh, follow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's like there's three nicknames for everyone, <laughs> and you have to write them all down. And somehow people that are from Russia just kind of somehow understand that. <laughs> yeah, brothers Karamasov is, and then there's the whole yeah. thing with the surname and the like Davidovich if you're the son of David and all of these things. And um, 
Yeah. Oh, I'm sure my great ignorance. I think it's the Chinese, some Asian culture where where the the last name surname comes first. Because oh. like Xi Jinping, she is the last name. Oh, that's very confusing. And Xi Jinping is is like his 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 given name. Oh. So I, I think it's Chinese where they do that. So you'll hear a lot of like names that begin with Xi or with you know other other surnames. That's because they always put the surname first. Hmm. Well, uh, I, I want to give a little bit of an introduction into who Mother Eliana is. Actually, like who Mother Eliana is in relation to me, uh, because I think that I think that I've referenced. Well, I've certainly referenced her at a different point on the podcast before. But there's one story in particular that I think I've referenced uh, that is a good connection point for people. So my first visit to the monastery uh, when I was when I was very early on in my discernment, I came for a three day weekend. And I talk about how the the peace and the joy that I experienced on that weekend really assured me that this was God's will for me because there was no like human reason for peace and joy that that weekend. Like Mother Mother Theodora's sister had just died very young of breast cancer, and so the funeral was there while I was there, and then the work at the monastery was just like very. Um, monotonous, not exciting work. And so, so one of those was we had a, we had a discerner who was going to be coming to the monastery immediately after my first visit. And this discerner is deathly allergic to cats, like deathly allergic. And so we had a cat at the monastery, Scout, God rest her soul and eternal memory and whatnot. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and Sorry, that's a hashtag for this episode of Eternal Memory and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> and when I, and so this discerner was going to be coming, but she almost didn't even visit because she's so allergic to cats. And so mother decided that we were going to clean the entire monastery, like wash all the curtains, clean the floors, clean the walls, everything. So this is what we were doing on my three-day visit. So at one point, I remember I'm under the dining room table scrubbing the floor, I had already done a bunch of walls and um, scrubbing the floor. And I just, I just say, this girl better have a vocation. <laughs> and, um, and that girl was Mother Eliana. That's me. So that's, <laughs> that's one of my stories. And, and she does indeed have a vocation. <laughs> yes, because the cat's part of the story. Um, yes. And it's so funny because on the way back from that first visit, I stopped and saw my spiritual father. And I was like... They washed the walls for me. What? How am I supposed to respond to that? And he's like, uh, "Thank you. Want me to wash them on my way out?" <laughs> like, it's crazy. So she was the one who was washing them. Yeah. There was another story I wanted to tell. Her. Do you remember what it was? No. Ah, uh, I told her I wanted to tell these two stories that. Um, but oh, your headscarf. Oh right. So, uh, so in our monastery. Whenever someone enters the monastery and they receive the headscarf that you get as a docomos, what Father Michael calls their bandana, um, <laughs> the when you get the headscarf, the youngest, the monastically youngest in the monastery is the one to tie the next one's headscarf on. So when Mother Petra entered, I was the last one who had entered before her, so I put her headscarf on at her um, entrance. Mother Petra put on Olivia's, etc. So. I hadn't met Mother Eliana when I entered the monastery because I, she, her first visit to the monastery was after my first visit, but I just took a much longer time actually committing in life. And 
Uh, and then I took the very um, unorthodox route of not really visiting the monastery much <laughs> between my first visit and entering. It's We wouldn't do any of these same things anymore. It was a horrible idea. Anyways, the because of that, I had never met Mother Ileana. And she was already a tonsured nun by the time I entered. And so I became very worried when she entered. I think I, I, well, I met you on my visit when I came to Yeah, your last visit before Uh you entered. Because I remember you walking in with your sunglasses and you went to see your room, which was just getting painted. Uh I like, those are very vivid. Father Michael came, Father Michael was here at the same time. Do you remember that? I just remember your sunglasses, uh-huh. your outfit, and you going to see your room. That's kind of all I remember. I feel like he saw it before I don't know me if I can so say he... this publicly, but I did see your room painted before you saw it. Yeah, it wasn't It wasn't <laughs> yet a cloister, Yeah, so it's fine. It's the sewing room now. Um, <laughs> yeah. We were doing renovations. So yeah, because like, it was just... shuffled around. Like I They were just very there. excited to show me that they had painted it blue for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, it's my favorite color, too. Uh, and you rubbed it in. Yeah, Mother Ileana and I have the same favorite color. <laughs> so, uh, so anyways, so that visit right before I entered was the first time that I met her. Um, but before that, like when she entered before me, um, I kind of panicked. And I was talking with, I think, probably Mother Gabriella. And I was like... Mother Gabriella, someone else entered. And so I don't know her. And and what if she doesn't like me? And and she's going to be the one to tie my headscarf. And I'm like having a breakdown. And Mother Gabriella was just like, Mother, Mother, no, she didn't call me Mother Natalia. That wasn't my name. She was like, Victoria. <laughs> Victoria. I do that all the time. Mother Ileana likes everybody. You're going to be fine. <laughs> and anyways, so. And that's proven to be quite uh, the case. She's, she's just really... Um, loves everybody so that's good so good job mother Ileana working on it <laughs> so a similar story my best friend that I grew up with married a girl from Oaxaca and Oaxaca. I'll keep this keep this simple but they met somehow online or over the phone this is obviously like 15 years ago and they kind of started flirting online and and just started falling for each other and then her first trip up to Albuquerque uh, like a week before that, he got Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is like Ooh. total body paralysis. You know that, Mother Eliana, because yeah. you're a nurse, right? And so he literally, when she came, he had like a week and a half beard, could not move his arms or his legs or his neck or his eyes. Oh, this is a temporary it, condition. Yeah. This is a temporary okay. condition. I didn't pick and up then, on that. Okay. And then, uh, and so like his mother and his sister are like feeding him in the hospital bed. As, as he recovers and she's there only when he's completely paralyzed. So like her entire trip to Albuquerque to the US to see this guy is he's just not himself at all. Like I remember walking in and hit the first the first part to recover was his right arm. So he would literally I, I, he'd hear me talking and he would go up and he'd, he'd lift up one of his eyelids because he couldn't control his eyelids. He lifted one of, one of his eyelids to see me and then he'd kind of like mutter a little bit and I'd try to understand what he was saying. And like, this is how his girlfriend met him the first time in real life. Wow. wow. And, then, and then they got married. But the part that I want to relate was that after I never met her at all and like I couldn't go to the wedding down in Oaxaca. So when I met him like three years after they were married in Chicago where he was a Lutheran minister at the time and I was a, a Catholic priest and I, I met her, we went out to dinner and I remember looking at this girl going, I was the I was the person who knew this guy best in the whole world. Like we were best friends growing up. I knew him better than his parents knew him. Like we were just like we were we were that close. And then now he has this person in his life that he's like so connected to. Like he's married to this woman 
Uh, I think they maybe had their first kid on the way, something. Anyway, they were so close. It was so weird looking at this girl like, I've never met you in my life. And here you know this person that I thought I knew him best more than anybody else. It was just the weirdest thing to have a conversation with her and meet her for the first time after she had was already married to him, you know. Mm. But anyway, it was it was kind of that first worry too. Like I wasn't worried. It was just it was just so strange. And she probably was the one who was worried, like, I'm gonna meet the person who knew him first, you know, for so long before before I did. But mm-hmm. yeah, there are, I think two kids now, maybe three kids. I need to get back in touch. Though he's a Lutheran minister outside of Milwaukee. Wow. Um, I can relate to the eyebrow problem because <laughs> Botox injection for chronic migraine renders my mm-hmm. eyebrows ineffective. <laughs> so all my facial expressions <laughs> are the same and I look slightly like a Vulcan. They just, I, I live in Holly. <laughs> I live in Hollywood, Mother Eliana. I've seen many, uh, many of the eyebrow injection <laughs> results. You look the best of all the ones I've seen. Well, thank you. That's so nice. Um, all right. Well, uh, if we can move into the topic, I don't even know what we're going to say in the announcement about um, banter time because there was also like introducing Mother Eliana, and I don't know. The banner haters are going to have to figure out their lives. But the Mother Eliana, can you introduce kind of? So for the nuns, I'm letting them each talk about just like what's on their heart and what they've been praying with. And that's why Mother Cecilia talked about silence. So I totally left it up to Mother Eliana what she wanted to talk about today. Well, I was going to talk about my vocation story, but this morning I woke up and I was just utterly depressed because everything in Ukraine is just horrible. Also, your whole vocation story is basically like, you came and you saw that I washed the walls for you. So you were like, well, now I'm just committed. <laughs> yeah, so now you know. I actually came because of the walls. Um, uh, so anyway, and I was just like, yeah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to chat with anyone. And But I can't tell them no because I already said yes, and I take that very seriously. And Jesus was like, talk about the cross. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then I started praying, and all these stories came to my mind. And then I realized it's mid-Lent today, and it's the week of the veneration of the cross, and so it's actually perfect timing. And so I think I need to trust Jesus on that. <laughs> and so the theme is basically suffering, sickness, um, encountering God in the midst of suffering. Um, and trust Jesus. And, <laughs> and trust Jesus with the topic. <laughs> well, I could tell a story right off the bat with that, but... Um, Yeah, I I remember when I first got sick. So right before I got sick, I got sick in 2017. Um, January 1st, 2017, it was very memorable because it was New Year. Otherwise, I wouldn't remember the day. Um, About a week before that, I was on Pustenia, and I just heard the Lord ask me, will you consent to remain so poor that all you can do is rest in my arms? And that sounded kind of scary. (laughs) Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be paralyzed. Like, what am I saying yes to? Like, what does that mean? All I can do is rest in his arms. And um, so I prayed about it for a while. And my initial yes was very reluctant. And that grew within me until it was a more wholehearted yes. Um, and then about a week later, I got really sick. And I was in bed for a month. I got to the point that I couldn't sit up anymore. And I was like, this is it. This is what he was talking about. <laughs> um, and as the months went by and this acute illness turned into a chronic illness um i became like i was able to realize through prayer in all sorts of different ways that that was only part of the story like yes physical suffering is part of the story but there's also spiritual suffering and emotional suffering um and so it's a much bigger story than just um like my physical ailment mm-hmm. like that's not what jesus was talking about he was talking about so much more than that um, and actually learning to really rest in his arms and resting in his love. And what does that, that look like? Mm-hmm. So, um, and 
there was just this really poignant moment for me um, um, about eight months into it. I was in the hospital for two weeks and I couldn't sit up. I was like, they had to care for me like I was a little baby. And um, I had a lot of time to pray. And at first I was really anxious um, and didn't know I was there, um, but trying to surrender. And I kept hearing in my heart the words, I was sick and you visited me. And I was like, Jesus, why am I hearing these words? Like, what does that mean? Like, I'm trying to assess my own inner situation here. Like, am I lonely? Do I want someone to visit me? Um, are you telling me once I recover, I should go visit sick people? <laughs> like, what is this that you're trying to tell me? And so I was just kept asking the Lord, like, what do you mean by saying these words to me so often? And there was this one moment where I was alone in my room and I heard those, those words again. And I was just all of a sudden pierced because I realized that it was God who was visiting me in my sickness. Mm -hmm. um, like this is Matthew 25, right? He's talking about separating the sheep from the goats and the last judgment. Like this is God's criteria. Like this is what will make you go to heaven is mm -hmm. do this thing. Well, how much more is God doing that then? If, it's, if he wants us to do it, then how much mm -hmm. more is he doing that? And so here I am in my sickness and I just suddenly realized he was there. Mm -hmm. He was visiting me. I wasn't alone. And that just, that was an explosion of grace. That changed everything. Um, every encounter, every time I went to the ER, every time something else would happen, it was always through that lens of that God was visiting me in the midst of that. And it makes it makes a lot of sense of, like in Matthew 25, he's giving, he, he gives this, um, this command or these exhortations to, to do these things because this is love and this is how you'll show love. And then he also says to his disciples at the Last Supper, um, love as I have loved. Mm -hmm. um, and so so if, if this is how he's saying to love, this must be the same ways in which he was loving. Um, yeah. So that, that makes a lot of sense. It's also, it's also one of those things that it's so important and I, I'm always humiliated when I realize this, but I forget who it was. I think it was even I could tweet or something, but um, we oftentimes, and I've said this before, I know, but we oftentimes think like passages, like when the call of Matthew, the call of Levi, when when Jesus says and says, you know, he's he's hanging out with sinners and gets convicted and 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 they they accuse him of, of hanging out with sinners as if that's there's something wrong with that. Um, and then those of us who like hanging out with sinners, um, <laughs> then, then, then we say, well, it says in the Bible that we can hang out with sinners because Jesus did. And we forget, no, 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 in that story, we're the sinner. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm not Jesus. Like, I, why, why am I putting myself at the place of Jesus and thinking it's okay for me to hang out with sinners? But that's not automatically where my mind goes. Like, in that story, we are the sinner. And it's the same thing with, with like, you said with mother, like we are called to do what Jesus does. The whole mm -hmm. fact of like visiting the sick is because Jesus visits the sick. And we need mm -hmm. to first understand that we're the sick, we're the poor, we're the mourning, we're the hungry and thirsty, we're those things. Yeah. And then once we understand that we have received the gifts from God, then we can stand in his place after receiving the gift and go do that with others. So yeah. th that's just a beautiful, very personal realization of that reality, Mother mm -hmm. Ileana. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, so I'm actually, I was going to share this story last, but I'm going to share it now because it just fits so beautifully. Great. But um, just about that Jesus, like being the one to visit us. I was on retreat once and I was really struggling with a lot of things. And I, um, I was given as a holy hour to just be with Jesus on the, on the cross. And I got to the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And I was just not satisfied with any of the explanations I'd heard of him saying that in that moment. Like, I'm like, okay, I know this is pedagogical. If he says the first line of a psalm, like that means that this, the rest of the psalm is what I'm talking about. I understand that, but it's not satisfying me. And so I just was relentless in this prayer. I just kept asking over and over why did you say those words? Like, why didn't you just say, read Psalm 22, it's about me. <laughs> like, hey, take note. Like, why did you say those words that would be so misunderstood by so many people? Like, you said them, why did you say them? And so I just like kept praying this prayer. And finally, and I just heard in my heart, I heard him respond. And this is after a very painful, very difficult retreat. Um, I just heard him respond. I said those words because they're the cry of every human heart in the midst of every human suffering. My God, where are you? And I answer, I'm here. And it just completely, like I was destroyed. It's like he's saying on the cross in the midst of his suffering, I'm here. Like in response to this, where are you, God? I'm here. I've taken on your suffering. I'm in the midst of what you're suffering. I'm experiencing in, in my own body, in my own spirit. And, um, and so that was just like this like utterly profound um, moment every time I encounter my own suffering and somebody else's suffering, it's not to diminish the pain of it. It's to acknowledge, no, this is the pain of the cross and God is in the midst of it. Um, so I was just reminded of that when you were talking about like, no, Jesus is the one doing this. Mm. Yeah. It's because one of the things obviously visiting the sick, that's a tough one for me. I know that everybody's different, but when I'm sick, I like, I totally like being alone. I don't want anybody there like like visiting the sick for me means putting chicken noodle soup outside my door <laughs> <laughs> like and then and then I shout out to Laura I've, I've Laura. witnessed this and it's very true <laughs> <laughs> Father Michael's like leave me alone don't talk to me just like <laughs> <laughs> so Laura um, who's on our list advisory committee and, and who mother Natalia and I both know and love um, she she's she brings soup when I'm sick and 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 she she loves soup and and she'll just like she'll come and she'll put it outside the door and then I will come three minutes later and come get it and return to my sick bed with hot nice soup. Um, but yeah, I don't like I, I I would rather be totally alone when I'm sick when I'm in pain. That's why like when someone gets hurt, if I see somebody get hurt, my initial reaction is to if there's anybody helping them, I will just like ignore them. <laughs> Because so that they don't get I, embarrassed I, and they don't have the exactly so that they they don't like so that everybody around them is not like watching or looking or someone like walks into a if someone walks into like a, a sliding glass door <laughs> like I'll just turn the other way and prove that I didn't see it you know unless but it's, it's, it's like Natalia thing. in which case you'll laugh <laughs> <laughs> for days no. um, yeah so I but there is that it is it is funny that I what that is is a conviction to me like let people come and visit you know mm. let people. I mean, th that's visiting. Leaving soup outside the door is absolutely visiting the sick. Um, but I just like, I like being, blah, Jesus, I'm here with you and these holy saints and the angels and that's it. I don't need anybody else right now. <laughs> that one might be <laughs> feeding the hungry, sick, though. But... I don't know if it's visiting the sick. Yeah, that's true. Oh, mother, stop. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to be anywhere convicted. <laughs> <laughs> um, being alone when you're... Um, when you're sick reminded me of the first time I went to the doctor. This is the first time I went to the emergency room after I got sick. And I went to the doctor for a regular appointment 
and I was struggle city, but I drove there and she took one look at me and she's like, you're not okay. I'm sending you to the emergency room right now. And so she gets a wheelchair and they take me across the parking lot to, um, to their emergency room. So I had driven to this appointment. I was there completely by myself <laughs> and now I'm in this emergency room and they say I'm not okay. And I'm like, I don't know why I'm not okay. And um, it was pretty scary. And um, so I somehow contacted the nuns. I don't remember how, if I texted or called or something, but I was like, I'm in the emergency room. And so the whole time I was there, every time I saw footsteps or anything outside my door, I was like, oh, the nuns are coming. They're going to come and be with me. And they didn't come. And this was like really scary. Like I'm here alone. And, um, and so this is like, God was just using this particular situation because we're actually really good at taking care of each other. And um, my two weeks in the hospital, I actually had to like pray for quiet time because I always had someone with me. <laughs> I was like, I just want to be alone. But um, so this was like a very particular situation. And so I started asking the Lord, like, why am I here? Like, I don't know why I'm here. Like, why Why am I here? And um, the, my nurse, his name was Caitlin. And I know it was Grace because I don't remember names, but I remember Caitlin. And she t- took really good care of me and she would come in and out and check things. And at one point she said, you ask really good questions. Like, why, are you, why do you know these things? And I said, well, oh, I'm a nurse as well as a nun. And she looks at me totally astonished and goes, I didn't know you were either of those things. <laughs> and she pulls up a chair and I, I hadn't realized that because I didn't even realize like, I, of course I'm in a hospital gown. Of course she doesn't know I'm a nun, but that hadn't occurred to me. It was so much my ontology that it didn't occur to me that other people didn't know it. And so, um, so she good, pulls good up a chair. Good use of the word ontology. I know, really. it was fun. <laughs> I got that from Father Patrick. <laughs> Relying on ontology. But um, so... She pulls up a chair and sits down next to me and says, well, how did you know you were going to be a nun? And here I am in this emergency room having this profound conversation with this nurse. And if the other nuns had been there, that wouldn't have happened because we would have been distracted by banter and other conversations and and things like that. And it was just such an intimate and profound moment and profound encounter with God. And I was like, that's why I'm here. I'm here to meet Caitlin (laughs) and I'm here to pray for Caitlin. And it was just like really beautiful. So that was another thing that I learned was of when I'm in the midst of something scary or something hard, it's like, but why is this happening? Like, what does God want me to see in the midst of it? And that's something that I've been, uh, like I pray about in the midst of sickness. And it kind of changed something inside of me too, because like as Catholics, we're really good at offering it up, like offer it up. I got a headache, offer it up. And one day I just realized, I was like, you know what? I don't want to offer it up anymore because that's still me like rolling up my sleeves and trying to do something for God. Like that's basically an error of me still trying to earn love. So that's not good for me. What I need to do is receive. Like whatever's happening, Mm -hmm. I receive it. I accept it. Like I accept this as it's happening. I accept it. And that's much more surrendered. Like that's something I specifically need to do myself because I'm just, I'll fall into that trap of like, well, I'll do this for God, right? Like I'm going to offer it up. Look at that. Mm -hmm. And that's just not how it works. Like God's always giving to us and it's for us to receive. And so that sort of changes the, your mindset a little bit. That's yeah. That's really beautiful because when, if we, if we really believe, um, 
again, going back to the scripture that I always talk about here, but Romans 8, that if we really believe that God uses all for good for those who love him, like if he uses our sin, if he uses our sickness, if he uses all of these things for our good, then that means that in every moment, or or like Father Walter Chizik, you know, the moment in which we find ourselves is God's will for us. So, so if in each moment God has something good he wants to give us, then if we're caught up in only... Um, in only doing and like trying to make something of it ourselves, yeah. we can be blind to the fact that he's trying to give something to us and and not open to to receiving. So just having that posture of receptivity, like that's that's just a really that's something um, that's really good to reflect on, I think. And you, you, Mother Ilana, may have just answered this question, but I would love to hear a little bit more um, because I think anybody listening to this episode or anybody thinking about this. It, in my experience, it's very different when you kind of have this idea about surrender or receptivity or Christ visiting me in the midst of my sickness. When we have those ideas, it's, it's very beautiful. Um, how does that get lived out in the moment of great pain? And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I think you know the, the difference between the moment of kind of saying, how am I going to act when I'm in great pain? <laughs> Or even saying, how did I act when I, was, when I was in great pain or suffering at a different time? And then to say, now the rubber hits the road. Now mm-hmm. the battle's upon me. Um, can you describe that a little more? I mean, you just did yeah. about receptivity, but like, like the, the moment, how, how do you take what you've learned and apply it when you're in the, in the foxhole? Yeah, I, it just, I immediately think uh, Mother Teresa is my hero. I met her when I was a teenager and she was already my hero. Then I met her. Boy, that just exploded. Hmm. So she, she's very much like my my mentor. And there's Oh, this- we should find that picture. We should post the picture on Instagram of you dressed up as Mother Teresa. Oh, yeah. I dressed up as Mother Teresa once when I was a teenager for Halloween. It's and uncanny. I fooled my own father. <laughs> he thought a missionary of charity showed up. He's like, oh, oh hello, sister. What? <laughs> <laughs> this, and I'm a teenager. I wasn't, yeah, it's a long time ago. But um, yeah, there's which a beautiful- means, which, If you're a teenager, that means you're about the right height to be a missionary of charity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a height requirement. You can't be over five feet. <laughs> uh, don't believe me. Um, I just made that up. But um, yeah, so there's a beautiful documentary about her life. I think it was released in 1986, um, a documentary narrated by Sir Richard Attenborough. That's all the info I can give you if you look for it. Um, it's got a blue cover. Um, but they interview her in that video, and there's one <clears throat> moment that just always pierces me, and she's talking about surrender. And she says, if God puts you in a palace, accept to be put in the palace. If he puts you on the street, accept to be put there. Not that you would put yourself on the street, but if that's where you find yourself to accept. And she said, that is, sur- that is surrender. You're free then. And I like, I, I used to cry when I watched this video as a kid. And like, um, but that has so much more meaning for me now because it's like, okay, but suffering is very hard and very painful. Like, and you can be in bed for five days straight with a migraine. And like, how, how do you, what do you do with that? And all I can do is just ask the Lord for the grace to surrender, to accept, um, to learn whatever I, I'm supposed to learn through this. And also to cry out in my need. Like I can say, Father, take this cup from me. It's not that I'm not gonna ask for healing, um, but then the follow-up is, but not my will, but yours. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's sort of what came to my mind of um, just learning to receive everything from God 
um, even if it really stinks that and trusting that he'll he can turn it into something beautiful or something good. Actually, another story comes to my mind of Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you ever read the book The Hiding Place. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it's been a while since I read it, so I I will botch the details a little. But the essence of it is that she and her sister are in just the worst. They were just transferred to even a worse concentration camp than they were in before, and it's just inhumane, utterly inhumane. The living conditions, and they have crammed so many women in this tiny little barracks, and then they get in there, and on top of everything, it's invested with some kind of terrible bug. I don't remember if it's lice or gnats or some kind of bug that just drive you nuts. And Corey was going, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like This is like beyond human endurance. I can't do it. And her sister said to her, well, St. Paul says to give thanks for every circumstance. So I think we need to give thanks to God for these Mm -hmm. bugs. And Corey's like, no, I am not thanking God for these bugs. And, and, and her sister just talked to her for a while, and she finally convinced her that they needed to thank God for these bugs. And so both of them made this prayer basically just in faith of thanking God even for the bugs. And what they would realize later is somehow her sister was able to bring a little Bible with her. It was a miracle how that got in there because they confiscate everything, but she was able to get this Bible in. And they started a Bible study with the women there of all sorts of faiths. They did a, a Bible study every evening and the guards wouldn't come in because of the bugs. And if the guards had come in, they wouldn't have had this Bible study. <laughs> and, and it was really, really impacting these, these women in this, in this concentration camp. And it would never have been able to happen without the bugs. Hmm. The guards wouldn't have allowed it. So that story really comes to my mind of like, how do you live in reality? <laughs> like complete and utter, utter grace mm-hmm. to be able to thank God, even for these bugs that are driving you up the wall and eating your skin and getting in your hair and not letting you sleep and all the things. So I don't know I if that answers your question. But. Absolutely. And the, what I thought about was, was actually a, a psychological thing. So I like your answer much better. Um, I, as I've shared a few times before, there's been a couple times where I thought I was dying or was like in great, great danger. And I always turned to psychology first mm-hmm. to like calm my mind before I turned to prayer. Mm-hmm. And both times it was very, very humbling afterwards mm-hmm. when I realized that my my initial impression is to like breathe, calm, stay calm, you know, accept what it is, hope for the best, be optimistic before I think about prayer. So, um, but but what I was thinking psychologically, there is something about when when the scriptures tell us and Jesus says, do not worry, mm-hmm. you know, today has worries enough of its own, don't worry about tomorrow. I actually think that that's true for, for every moment. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if we, like the, the, the story that came to mind was when I was driving up one time from Albuquerque to Denver and a major snowstorm hit in Southern Colorado. And I may have shared this before, but it was the snow was, we, there was probably about a foot of snow on the ground. I was driving my little Honda and there, it was snowing so hard that you, I could not see even the end of my lights. So I could probably see maybe 10, 15 feet in front of me. And, and the, there was so much snow and it was snowing so hard that I could not see where the edge of the road was. Mm-hmm. I could not see where the exits were. I could not see anything. So everything was just white. So I thought, I can't pull over because I don't know where to pull over. I don't know, am I going to go go off a cliff? Am I going to do, because I can't see anything. I can't just stop because someone behind me is going to hit me because I'm in the road. Thank God I had gas and I'm just going to keep on driving straight, but I can't even see like more than 50 feet ahead of me. Like there's nothing. So thank God I got up close enough to a semi 
just the, by the grace of God, where I could drive about 15 feet behind it. And we were both going slow. I could try to drive in the semi's tracks, but there was literally nothing else I could do. If, if I had freaked out, I, I would have been dead or been in a gutter and not know what to do. So the only thing I could do was take every moment and say, just keep on following the lights of the truck. Because there were no, it was the middle of nowhere. There was no street lights, you know, so you could not see anything besides what my lights were showing. And I oftentimes, if I need inspiration and persevering, mm-hmm. I go back to that moment. And I just think there's, I mean, if I had let myself get worried, if I let myself have a meltdown, I'd be dead. You know, so I just had to, and I'm sure people in the military and people in police work and police and people in nursing work and parents, like they have this experience all the time. Like I cannot worry about the next moment. Yeah. Because, and I just need to literally accept this moment as it is. Um, And then because like my, my irrational fear, I was, I was criticizing Andrew Whaley on the last episode uh, about being afraid of snakes. Like my irrational fear, because he's afraid of snakes, but he knows it's irrational. My irrational fear is. Remember when I said that there's there's, um, a nun at the monastery who's (laughs) definitely afraid of snakes and I don't even talk about them around her? (laughs) I will not not alter my camera, Mother Ileana, in either direction um, so that you don't, you don't see. Is um, Georgia in there right now? Sweet little Georgia, yeah. Um, But she's in, she's in her cage. But uh, but my, my my irrational fear that keeps me humble is claustrophobia. Like mm-hmm. I remember one time my brother, so we were going to hide from my mom, and it was just like I'm going to hide somewhere in the living room, have my mom come in, and I was like she will never find me. So what I decided to do was to actually let myself be folded up inside of our um, like a couch bed, whatever you call it. <laughs> like, like, you know how you take a couch and it folds out to a bed? Yeah. Right? So I, if, if you laid on the end of it and you could actually scoot up so that I was in the back, like in the backrest of the couch bed, and then my brother would put cushions on it, and there's just no way. There's no way my mother could find me. She, she, would, she would search for hours and not find me because you don't think a human being can fit back there. But I was so thin that I could. So I had my brother put me up inside of it. He puts all the cushions, cushions on the couch, and then I said, okay, okay, go get mom. And as soon as he left the room, and I knew there's no way I could get out of there, like there's no way I could get myself out of the back of the couch. I just, the claustrophobia smacked me in the face. Like, wow. and, and I, I started shaking. I got so nervous because like, I was no longer in control. I was uh-huh. not in control of my surroundings. And I remember thinking, that's totally irrational. Like my mom's going to come in. She's going to look around for me. Sean's going to be right there. If I cry out, either of them can let me out. But uh, my, my body was just like, this is that you can't do this right now. So anyway, but those are the moments I think when Jesus says, you know, do not worry about what tomorrow I, I'm taking care of you. Today has worries enough of its own. Like mm-hmm. even if you're really suffering, take it moment by moment mm-hmm. and say, it, it's worrying about, am I going to be suffering in 10 minutes or in a day or in a year or in a month or week? Like they're just, that's not helpful. And if we understand the care that God has for us, mm-hmm. and even like you said earlier, Mother Child, that was beautiful. Like Jesus is there mourning with us. Like this is a cross. And I'm supposed to, as we heard last Sunday, deny myself, take up my cross and follow Christ. You know, if I do that, this cross has already been carried. Christ's own suffering was like that. And if if this is a cross, it's a cross that Christ has carried. It is a cross he will carry. It is a cross that he is carrying. Um, and and that right there should be that moment of not only peace, but like Carrie Temboom said, it's actually a moment of also thanksgiving. And I think that's the process. You go from my psychological 
forcing myself to not worry to the reality that Christ is here to the reality that Christ is with me to the fact to the to the fact that I need to thank God you know because mm-hmm. he he is right now using this as something that is good and so I need to thank him for doing that and what he's using it for is so often hidden from us it we don't it's yeah. a mystery like we don't really know why this is happening mm-hmm. um and it's uh, uh, just one quick point: uh, the irrational feel, fear of snakes. Um, so I'm. Um, <laughs> I used to have an irrational fear of spiders. Then I was bitten by a spider. Now I have a rational fear of spiders. So <laughs> you might actually have a rational fear of snakes, but I, I don't know. I haven't met him. But um, um, I think you make a good point though about control. You were talking about as soon as you knew you were stuck behind the couch and now you don't have control. I think control is a big part of it too because mm-hmm. we're so afraid of losing control. Um, and this became very clear to me once. Um, when I was in the hospital, I was okay. Like, I was absolutely pathetic. I couldn't do anything. They had to do everything for me. And I was able to surrender to that and accept that. Then I got transferred home and I'm starting to get stronger bit by bit. And that desire for control just keep starts like creeping back in, seeping back in. And so, and I, but I wasn't well yet. And so I'd find myself sometimes unable to get ready for bed. And one of the sisters would come in and offer to help me. And I'm like, no, I, I've got to be independent. I've got to do this myself, but I couldn't. And so I'd sit there or lie in my fully habited on my bed because I couldn't get ready uh, for bed myself, but I didn't want the help either. And I was on a retreat day or a retreat or something. And this came back to my memory. The, the Lord brought it to my memory of like the sister coming in and me saying, no, I don't want your help. And I was like utterly indignant and spontaneously just cried out to the Lord. Why should I let her see me naked and clothe me? (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, I just stopped and I was like, oh, why should I let her be Jesus to me? (laughs) Like in not allowing her to help me, I wasn't letting her Mm. do what she needed to do for her own, for, for her own being Jesus and offering to to clothe and to to feed and to to help someone in need. And so like my desire for control was not only hurting me, it was hurting her too. Um, so I was like this, because we're just so scared. We're so scared that we, we want to do it from the time we're two, we want to do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, and, and sickness, like specifically sickness um, really, really hits that nerve. Yeah, and, and I think that's part of, you know, at the beginning you touched on how when, when we're suffering, especially when we're suffering from illness, there's not only the physical suffering, but there's the spiritual, that's mm-hmm. the why have you forsaken me? And there's the emotional, that's the lack of control, like yeah. the, the, that kind of suffering mm-hmm. that comes with it. Um, can I ask you, uh, I didn't warn you this beforehand, so it's okay if um, if uh, she's panicking right now, I can tell, um, if you don't have anything the, to say about it. but It's the Vulcan eyebrows, give the, it away. <laughs> the Vulcan eyebrows. <laughs> um, so... Can I ask you to touch on when you, um, before you entered the monastery, you've referenced this a couple times, but before you entered the monastery, you were a neonatal nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. So can you can you speak at all to anything of the experience of having to see such mm-hmm. suffering yeah. and what your response is to that? Because, um, because you were working at one of the leading... Um, hospitals for 
um, children's hospitals yeah. for, in the nation. Yeah, yeah, and um, <clears throat> and so you're dealing with like the sickest of the sick babies. Mm-hmm. Many of them are dying. Many. So, like, what what do you yeah. have to say about encountering suffering in others and and the response and and what that's done for you? Well, we'll have to ask Father Michael if he has any insight. I can tell you, like, that's something I'm going through right now because it's rem- I'm being reminded of it a lot with what I'm seeing happening in Ukraine. Mm. So, like, my first patient dying um, was just such a horrible experience for me um, because my first year in nursing, I wasn't working in the NICU yet, so I was still working with older patients. And I'm like, I don't know if he knew Jesus. I don't know if he went to heaven. Like, I was just ripped apart. And and I was supposed to go to a party that night after work. And I'm like, how am I supposed to party when these people are mourning? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it felt completely impossible and mm-hmm. completely incongruous. Um, and then in the NICU, it was just tr- such tremendous suffering. One of the surgeons that I worked with used to call it the little shop of horrors. She was just profound suffering. It was just so much pain. Um, and and people would ask me, like, how are the babies? And I'm thinking inside, like, they don't even look like babies. They're mm-hmm. disfigured. They're they're, they're just almost unrecognizable. They're so swollen. Like, they are so sick. And I would get resentful for the question even. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that coming back, watching the news and seeing just kids being blown up and my family's over there and just being worried for them of like, I don't really, like I said, I didn't want to chat today. Well, like, why should I chat? I'm just like utterly grieved. Um, but then we were, so I don't really have a response to that other than, um offering that back to the father like it's almost like a groan (laughs) of like I just think of Queen Esther interceding for her people and Mm. just crying out to the Lord save me from my fear like I am utterly helpless to do anything for any of them except for to pray for them and as I encounter them to to offer the poverty of my presence (laughs) like I don't have the words I can't fix it this is horrible. You just lost your third baby in a row. And it's like, I don't have the words for that, but I'm going to hold you and I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to weep with you. And unfortunately, in my nursing training, they told me not to weep with the families because it's like their time to mourn and you're supposed to be like somehow stoic and professional. And I think I disagree with that. I think it's very important. I mean, not to fall into hysterics, you still have to do your job and you need to minister to them, mm-hmm. but but to allow yourself to grieve that with them. Mm-hmm. Um, like Jesus la- weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. Why is he weeping? He's about to raise him from the dead. And like, and of course we believe in the resurrection. So why are we weeping? Well, Jesus is weeping <laughs> and we're weeping because it's just plain sad. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and he sees Mary, Mary and Martha's grief and everybody else's grief. And um, he weeps with us. There's that's that Andrew Peterson song of, um, could it be that you're weeping with me? Mm-hmm. Like you're in the midst of all of this suffering, but then you realize that he's weeping with you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and this is something that came to me in prayer just a few days ago. I went to pray that I'm always late. She can attest to this. Um, <laughs> always late. And um, always. Well, once I was a few, maybe a few minutes early. And so we usually pray the Jesus prayer before Vespers. And I sat down, but I was early in a strange turn of events. So I hadn't started the Jesus prayer yet. And I was just like internally, I hadn't, the tears hadn't reached me. I was just like internally grieving for everything happening there and all the suffering. In Ukraine. In Ukraine, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just heard the Lord, this is just a few days ago, and I just heard the Lord say, your brother will rise. 
And I immediately started weeping and I didn't even know why. Like, I don't know what that means. Martha didn't know what it meant either. Like, yes, he will rise at the resurrection. Um, and, and Jesus's response is, I am the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Like, this is all mystery. I don't really understand it, but I know he's with me. Like we're singing right now for Lent um, over and over. God is with us in the midst of all of it. God is with us. And so um, I was just like tremendously consoled by that, that like your brother will rise. Like, I don't really know what that means, but I know God is with me mm-hmm. and he's with them and that he's going to somehow turn it all to good. And that's actually something I was thinking as you were speaking, as you're, as you're talking about, especially your experience in, in the NICU and, um, and being with people in their suffering and how you don't even know how to feel about that or how to process that. Part of what I was thinking is it's, it's kind of, I feel like a combination of so we were talking before about the emotional suffering that we feel when we're sick of not being in control. Mm-hmm. And and that's just amplified mm-hmm. when someone that we love yeah. is suffering. Um, you know, it's I, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but like this was my experience of when my when my brother was um when his Humvee ran over an IED and he was in Walter Reed for like a year and a half and just going to visit him there. And, and having to, like, watch him sleep and hear him screaming in night terrors mm-hmm. and, like, having bed sores and all of this. It's just, like, so, so hard to watch yeah. because I can't do anything yeah. to help him. And um, so it's that, that helplessness we feel adds to the suffering, but I think then it means that we need to have the same response as when we're sick and we're suffering of what you're saying of like, we need to choose to trust that God will and is using this for good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's harder even to trust in that when someone we love is suffering Mm -hmm. because that's just, that's just a further lack of control because when it's our suffering, we can choose to see the good. But when it's their suffering, we can't choose to make them see the good. And so it's like an even even more like removed control. Yeah. Um, And how many of us have seen someone with horribly young with cancer and little kids and said, Lord, give me the cancer. Take it from them. Give it to me. We'd much rather do it ourselves Mm -hmm. than see someone else we love suffer. Mm -hmm. That's definitely true. And it's interesting. We just watched a um, documentary. We don't watch movies during Lent unless it has like deep spiritual impact. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so for our one recreation time, we watched this documentary about Pope John Paul II. And he's living in the midst of utter horrors. Like Nazi Germany has invaded Poland. All Everyone he loves has died. And his people are all around him are disappearing. And he's a young student. And he is part of this like underground theater group <laughs> and and it's like they're they're reciting poetry with music and then they're hearing the the nazis on a loudspeaker outside the window saying like we just conquered this or we just bombed mm-hmm. that and and they just keep reciting the poem and that literally moved me because I'm like he's living in literally in the midst of utter horror but he's still trying to find beauty mm-hmm. and he's trying to find life. And um, and so like you really like he couldn't have been living in a more terrible environment 
and yet he was still searching for beauty in the midst of it. And that, that really moved me. And that's something that had come to me once I started nursing and I started being with people in their death is that I still needed to live life. Mm-hmm. I needed to encounter them in their grief and I still needed to live the life that God had given me. And so, I don't know, that, that sort of came to yeah, my memory. Absolutely. One thing too that I, I know that you now you, Mother of the Honor, Mother of the Honor, do you do spiritual direction? Yes. Okay. So, and, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen this, but um, I had an experience just last night where a, a new friend of mine who um, fallen away Catholic, born and raised Catholic. I mean, she served at the altar every day as a kid, Catholic school, um, fell away from the faith in the Catholic church um, because of a few bad experiences. And then went evangelical, then just recently fell away from the evangelical church because mm-hmm. of a few bad experiences. So she, now she's kind of agnostic. And um, anyway, we went we went to a Mexican restaurant together and uh, she's from Mexico or her family's from Mexico. Um, so we go to this restaurant and she said, this is exactly like the food that I had growing up. So mm-hmm. we, we go there and um, when the server comes over, the server looks at me and, and in Spanish asks if I'm a priest. And I can, I can hear the server say, no, so charlos. And, and so she says, yes. And so they're talking. And then she, and then she looks at me and she says, um, she sees your collar and she recognizes you as a priest. And then I said, well, ask her if she wants me to bless the restaurant. You know, because usually if, if people, like if they recognize it and they're an owner and it was the owner who came over, and so she said, yes, yeah, sure. So last night I went and, and I brought all my stuff and I, I texted my friend beforehand. I said, you know, um, we like, do we need to call ahead? Like, I, I don't want to bless the place with a bunch of people there if they're going to, if that's going to make them uncomfortable. And she said, I doubt that's going to make them uncomfortable. They probably wouldn't <laughs> mind at all blessing with people there. And I said, oh, okay. So anyway, I bring all my stuff and then I find out. And then the woman wants me to know, the owner wants me to know that um, she not only wants me to bless the restaurant, but she wants me to bless her. But she wants me to. She wants me to know that she believes in God, even though mm. she doesn't go to church. Mm. And I, and I just thought this is like one of those things where that that's kind of where we've gotten to. Is it's not only like what type of Christian are you, but like do you believe in God or not? So in other words, to receive a blessing, it's just it's just the basics. Do you believe in God or not? Which I understood. So then I I blessed the place, blessed the whole restaurant. I blessed her, and I blessed her, the one employee that was there with her. And I just thought, Lord. And then my friend was there to witness. And I had just blessed my friend's house earlier. I thought, Lord, like, please let this be effective. Like, like let, let this blessing, like, I wanted a good story. Like, have every other, every other business in the strip mall burned down except hers. You know, like, like obviously not. Like, I, 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 I know, I know. But I was like, I, I wanted, obviously not. But I was like, I wanted something to kind of show them the power of a blessing. And like, in, in their life, in something something, you know, just let, let, let this be effective. And then I thought, you know, should I have said something different? Was I, obviously there was a language barrier there, so I really couldn't give anything inspirational, but like, and I, and then I, and I realized like, what am I thinking? Like, in other words, this is one of those things where a blessing is not coming from me. It's not Father Michael's blessing. It's the blessing of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Like the holy water I use was, was blessed. The Jordan water was blessed in a very specific way, you know? So there, there, there's something that I'm sure you guys get with your spiritual direction. Mother, Mother Natalia and I have talked about this multiple times where, where we are doing something that is so far beyond our control mm-hmm. in a good way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there are so many things in, in, in negative ways that we do that are beyond our control. And, and we, we, but then there's also things 
what we want them to be under our control. Yeah, it's like, thank we God want, this doesn't depend on me. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God this is not something I'm controlling. Mm-hmm. Thank God it is something that, that I, I'm, I'm doing what I'm asked to do. I've received mm-hmm. the, 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 way of, the way of saying this or the way of throwing water or the way of moving my hand, whatever it is, I've received this from God in the church. And then um, thank God it's not me controlling. I think this is yeah. why too many priests who, who change the liturgies or the prayers, they change it to be more interesting or something mm. like that. That's what they're trying to do. They're, they're trying to grasp control mm. from the church. And they mm. think that they're, that they're, them being in control is gonna be more helpful than doing something the way the church prescribes it. And, and there's just an immense lack of that awe that needs to happen when we're doing something in a positive way that's outside of our control. And we say, like you said, Mother Natalia, yes, thank God this is out of my control because mm-hmm. so many better things are gonna be happening. I think if we know that we've had that experience and we can also take that back to the negative things out of my control, you know, thank God this is out of my control. Mm-hmm. And I only mm-hmm. say that out of faith. I only mm-hmm. say that because I trust that God's gonna do something better with this than if I was in control and just ending it or cutting it off or doing yeah. whatever I wanted to do. It's so that we know the power is his and not our own. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he, have you ever noticed how he tends to pick pretty weak leaders? <laughs> like David's an adulterer and a murderer, and um, Peter denies him and makes a lot of wrong decisions. Paul's a Christian killer. Yeah, like, yeah. and he's like, I think he does that because it's so that we would understand that the power is his and not ours. Mm-hmm. Um, Amen. I thought that was a dig on our bishops, Mother Mother Ileana. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what I meant. (laughs) I almost referred to, I was like, yeah, the pastor in in Sherman Oaks, California. (laughs) That's his parish. No, I was thinking of, of, uh, uh, in a class I had heard once, it's just this excellent, um, um, it it was just such a great visual for me. He was talking about how, What's the? He's talking about the Old Testament um, in an Old Testament class of why do they have sacrifice of animals? Mm, like, does mm-hmm. God like the smell of barbecue? Um, no, because like the sacrifice doesn't change God. <laughs> God is immutable. He doesn't change. Sacrifice isn't for God. Sacrifice is for us mm-hmm. so that we would reach out our empty hand and take hold of his. And I feel like that goes back to the whole control thing and and just like, off, instead of offering up, but just receiving of like, my suffering isn't going to change God, but it is going to change me. And it'll help me to reach out my empty hand and take hold of his and know that he has to do it because I'm too weak and I'm too poor and I can't do it. I can't even get through it emotionally because it's too hard. Or I think I can't get through it physically because it's too hard, whatever it is, um, spiritually, especially. Um, mm-hmm. That's a whole nother story I have. But like, we have to just realize our emptiness and our poverty and our profound need for him and that he has to do it in us. Especially if we're doing something that we're really good at or mm-hmm. getting a lot of attention for or this yeah. having a big impact. Yeah. So I think that's what a lot of people in the world will criticize us for, especially this day and age. Like you need to be driven. Like you, 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 need, to, you need to actually put the work in and you could be successful. And, and if you're not just kind of whining about, you know, what, what you're not good at and what you're not doing, like, yeah, do that, but then also, you know, move forward and actually make a change. Be effective. You know, put the work in, get it done, and 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 you'll 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 see the rewards of that. And that's that is so much more dangerous because mm-hmm. the devil can be in there and, and leading us to arrogance and pride. But when we are effective, when we are doing well, that that's when we need to even be even be more humble. You know, Andrew Whaley was said to me the other day, which is uh, was something both of us fall into. 
that he heard somebody say, you know, um, sorry, my talk went an hour and a half. I didn't have the time to make it 20 minutes. It's like it takes longer and more work to get it effective in 20 minutes. An hour and a half is much longer to do for us that, that are very long-winded. Uh-huh. Um, it's, 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 kind of, it's kind of that way as well. So um, there's something, yeah, there's something beautiful about um, when we see that we are successful or things we're good at, then making sure that we're extremely thankful because there's a, an immense danger there to, to go into pride. Thank you. Um, I want to conclude by sharing uh, two more quick stories about Mother Eliana. Um, <laughs> one is, um, can I tell them why you were in the hospital, like what came of that and things like that? Sure. Okay, so Mother Eliana has POTS, which is the same thing that I have, <laughs> but hers was uh, much, um, she was in much, much worse shape when she was diagnosed. Um, I mean, like worse shape in the yeah. sense of like, um, it hit her a lot harder. Then when I was diagnosed, um, so that's why she was like bedridden and all of that. Um, the reason I share that is because all of the listeners who send us formerly liquid IV and now um, LMNT, which listeners have um, very sweetly and not at all um, in a belittling kind of way, have informed me that it's pronounced element, <laughs> which we didn't get. Um, so, we called it Lamentaciones. Yeah. So I told them at the time that we were calling it Lamentations, but then we started calling it Lamentaciones because it sounds a lot better in Spanish. Yeah. So anyways, um, so the listeners who send us Lamentaciones, also known as Element, also known as Element, he... Um, uh, that benefits both Mother Eliana and myself because we both need that sodium intake for our pots. So thank you. Nice. So thank you. Um, and then the other story, I was just thinking of this as we were talking about visiting the sick and how Father Michael doesn't like to be visited when he's sick. Um, I was thinking there are occasions at which um, we don't want to be visited um, when we're sick. And I was thinking of when Mother Eliana went with me um, when I had to get an echocardiogram <laughs> because an echocardiogram is, um, is like a, a sonogram of your heart, um, which is like, so anyways, as I'm getting this done, I'm, I'm not exactly, um, um, like well disposed to visitors. And there's this, there's this knock on the door and a man's voice says, sister, I've brought you communion. And then he just opens the door and, and just like starts to waltz in. Thankfully there was a curtain up and mother Eliana jumps up and runs over to the door and she's like, now's not a good time. Um, and so mother Eliana, uh, very graciously um, saved my modesty. So thank you, Mother Eliana, for that. Um, so maybe don't always visit the sick unannounced necessarily. <laughs> um, that's the story. Or at least after you knock, wait for someone to respond. <laughs> Do you remember one of the times that, of course you remember, we've talked about this, but one of the times that Mother Eliana was in a particularly... Um, like a streak of having a hard time. I was bringing her breakfast in the mornings. And <laughs> I so, this story. so I bring her breakfast. And so I've made like eggs and a bagel or whatever. I don't know. And then I knock on her door of her cell and she says, come in. And then I open the door and she goes, ah! and, um, and like she had just woken up. And I was like, um, she was like, sorry, I just woke up. And I was like, you, you said come in and she was like I know I fell back asleep like in the moment in which she said come in and then I opened the door she had fallen asleep um, so she yeah, was so pretty somnolent <laughs> that's why they call me little mother poo poo 
little monkey bear. I'm very sleepy, and this looks like a bed. And she really <laughs> likes honey. Um, okay. So, um, Father Michael, do you have anything to say before I give our pitch? That was nope, I think so wonderfully written out for me by Cowboy. Um, I know you don't like it when I do the Cowboy pitch because you find my awkwardness funny, but I think listeners are probably grateful. So... Uh, given to me by Cowboy, please rate and review the podcast on whatever service you use to listen. Um, It's the best way to help more people find us. Please like What God Is Not on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Uh, You can also follow Father Michael on Twitter at Padre Michael O. Uh, Please subscribe on YouTube and hit the bell icon to be notified when new videos drop. I've never known what that means. Uh, We also have a Goodreads group Join us to discuss what both we are reading and what you are reading. Um, you can check our uh, website, whatgodisnot.com. And especially if you don't have social media, that's where things are posted, like when we um, are doing a live episode or um, when a new episode comes out or things like that. And then you can also check out uh, the nonprofit that Father Michael and I have Fotina.org is the website, or you can find What God Is Not on Patreon and support the nonprofit through that. Um, did I get all the things? Do we have to do that always, like for the rest of our lives? I feel like Probably. we've done it enough. But see, that's why when you don't read something, you can mix it up a little bit and make it a little bit different every time. Okay. A little more interesting. Well, we can fight about this later. A little more awkward. You used okay. a lot of words I didn't understand. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. Um, I wish we. I wish you had made some of your pop culture references during this episode so you could see that there's someone who knows even less about them than I do. <laughs> a lot less. I, I think you said you knew who Dr. Dre was. Did you know No who? idea. Okay, good. So, um, no. so he's Father Michael's BFF. And How about Eminem? I Do think you know he's a rapper. I only know that because once it was there was a commercial and he was going like this with his fingers. She That's, just made a motion with her. I fingers. made a motion with my fingers. Uh, I've never. I don't. That I couldn't tell like you what song he Eminem, sang. But <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. That's uh, I wish I had now too. What? I wish I had made more pop culture references as well. Oh, um, I have talked about. Um, can you? Can you just? For our listeners, because this is just the cutest thing in the world. Can you? Oh, no. Please. No, no, no. no. Please. <laughs> no. Really? No? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, next time she's on, I'll make her do it. I'll make her have the courage. You can tell her them what it is, but I don't want to do it. It's the, the Spice Girls <laughs> song that, um, tell me what tell you me want, what, what you, you want. really, really want. Yeah, I want, okay. I want, I want, I want, I really, really want. Zika, zika, yeah. <laughs> this makes her laugh every time. It's I just, it's like, wait, I just did it. It's the cutest thing in the whole world. I know you did. Uh, she talked me into it. <laughs> so, um, as we talked about right before we started recording, Mother Eliana is much more adaptable than me and more <laughs> willing to please than I am. So, she's so sweet. Uh, okay. Prayer intentions. Um, I'm supposed to start because it's my episode and I haven't thought of anything. Um, pray for Father Lukash. I don't know why. He's just the one that came on my heart, so we're going to pray for him. So please pray for Father Lukash. He's the um, pastor at, is he considered the pastor or administrator or something? I don't know. He's I the priest at 
Holy Resurrection Parish yeah. in Euclid, um, which is where our live episode will be, as well as the nuns leading the great canon of St. Andrew. Both of those things are next week as of recording this, and so they are long past. But pray for Father Lukash. <laughs> Am I next? Yeah. Well, I will ask for prayers for all the people suffering in Ukraine, my family, friends, and just all of my... Um, my people over there and also especially people who are in prison because I know a lot of people were protesting and they were mm. in prison for that and so who knows what's going on for th- in their lives right now just pray for their families um that's pray interesting. for peace that's interesting because when you said in prison I wasn't even thinking of that I was thinking of I haven't not at all thought of this but like the people who are in prison as in like they were in prison when all this started and mm-hmm. they literally can't escape yeah yeah, so that hasn't crossed my mind. I have relatives there, like my um, my mom's first cousin. She just had a stroke, so literally she can't leave. Mm-hmm. And somebody was saying, "Well, well, why why do they want to be there? Like they can just leave? Like no, they can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're poor, they're sick, and they don't have the means. So it's not an option just to pick up and go. So yeah. a lot of people who need prayers because they're they're just stuck there being bombed. So mm-hmm. Father Michael. Thank you. And before I say that, that was that was one thing I learned about like Hurricane Katrina is people just say, well, the hurricane was coming. It was a warning. Why didn't they just get out? It's like, there's a massive part of the population in New Orleans that doesn't own a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how, how do you how do you flee when you don't have a car? Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. Um, I'll, two intentions. Uh, first of all, I think I prayed for this last time too, but just keep my, my sister um, in your prayers uh, just with some uh, health you issues. You didn't say last time that it was your sister. Okay, well, it's my sister and um, some health issues that are hopefully very temporary but could be permanent. Um, so we're praying that they remain only temporary. And then also, if you could pray for the uh, the three women that I mentioned earlier, um, my friend, and then the two women that worked at this restaurant, um, just that that through prayer, um, I know our Lord's going to be working in their life, of course, but but through through prayer, um, the prayer of the church that they may also have a, a conversion experience and also find peace in our Lord and, and desire a closer union with him. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Mother Eliana. This was great. Thank you, Father Michael. I love you both. Love you, listeners. And yeah. Good love you, you too, ladies. Thank you for coming on. It was great having you, Mother Eliana. Um, you're, you're very good at podcasting. You, <laughs> I've never been on a podcast yeah. before. Well, you're very good at it naturally then, so I commend you. <laughs> I told her that I had told Father Michael um, uh, last week or something, maybe when we talked about this, I was like, my one hesitation with having Mother Eliana on in particular is that she's so delightful that everyone's going to love her more than me <laughs> and I'm going to get kicked off and she's going to replace me. And I was like, maybe she'll still have me on sometimes as a guest. <laughs> Don't worry, I would petition Mother um, ad nauseum to not make it happen. <laughs> well, good luck with that because someone else might have tried that. <laughs> um, Father Michael, can you give us a blessing, please? Of course. May Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May our Lord give you endurance and perseverance and watchfulness in your suffering. May he make his presence always known. May he give you a joy in the surrender of control that he asks. May he give you trust in his presence and his care and his plan. May he give you thanksgiving and gratitude for both the peace and the sufferings that you endure in every way. May he protect you from all evil in any way and 
when that evil is brought upon by ourselves or others, may he give healing and peace in that. May our Lord bless Father Lukash and those suffering in Ukraine, my sister and these three women at the Mexican restaurant, that they may all grow in faith and healing and holiness in every way. May our Lord bless all of you and your family, your friends, your neighbors, your benefactors, and all those you love. May he give you everything you need, even the salvation of your soul. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 